Good morning, party people. It is October 29th here in Egypt, and the time is 10.30 a.m. I just did my morning run. How y'all doing? Okay, Pasa. Salam alaikum. Bonjour. That's really all I know right now. Um, I want to thank my new listeners for coming on board. Um, the ladies, the divine, devastating ladies of the Cairo expats, I mean, of the Egypt expats, black women's group. <laughs> thank you all for listening in. Thank you all for the support. It is deeply appreciated, especially for a one-year project. Uh, I also want to thank you all who have rejoined as subscribers, I really appreciate y'all's patience and willingness to continue to support this project. Um, and I'm thankful for all the new energy, the the responses, uh, the connections, the letting me know that I'm not crazy with some of this stuff that's happening, and that I'm not alone, that I'm not by myself, and these are people who I don't even know. And I want to thank Ken Goffney and Dawn Rice um, for being ultimate supporters from day one. All right, so today's um, podcast really is about me releasing two major pain bodies. That's the goal, is for me to release two major pain bodies. And by releasing them, I mean letting y'all know what they are and letting them go, just letting them go. When I was running this morning, there were two themes that came up. Um, and and it's weird because I'm like, there's no way I would have been able to deal with this if I wasn't in Egypt. I couldn't be in California. I couldn't be in Paris. I couldn't be in... Stockholm, I couldn't be anywhere else but here with this heat, with this desert that connects with my Scorpio sensibilities and with the beauty of it all, which connects with my Sagittarian abilities. So I realized this morning, y'all know I'm, I feel like on some level Hathor the goddess Hathor has brought me here. I really do. I feel like she's like, girl, come on over here and have a seat with me. And let's, have, let's just have some tea. And let me help you figure some things out. So this morning I'm running. And I start thinking about Hathor. I'm eating a banana, y'all. I'm sorry. I got to put some, some in my, my system. I ran a little late this morning, so it was hotter than normal. So... Thinking about Hathor, being a goddess, goddess led me to thinking about queen, and I was like, well, goddamn, I'm a queen amongst queens. I am queen adjacent on both sides of my family. Now, most of y'all might be like, but those are pageants, that don't really, I'm like, like hell, they don't. Queendom is a legacy. The Brits might have given it to us, but they got it from the goddesses. What's a queen to a goddess? <laughs> Shout out to Kanye. Anyway, my mother 
Well, let me go. Let me let me start with my aunt because I don't really know a lot about the history of my aunts being the queen. But my aunt, my aunt Margaret, Margaret being a British name, of course, was the eighth grade queen of her class. And I have the photo to prove it. Eighth grade queen, eighth grade queen, eighth grade queen. Now, this is down in, I want to say Tyler, Texas. I dare say Laneville. Eighth grade, maybe, yeah, Tyler, Texas. And I, listen, I'm about to be 50. I'm 49 years old, and I just found this out maybe four years ago. I just got the picture. I was given, the picture was given to me maybe two years ago, maybe a year ago. I know I just got the picture. But I was told this well, 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 well into my adult life. And maybe my Aunt Brenda, who is the keeper of the historic flame in our, on my dad's side of the family, maybe she said it, I just didn't process it. Because without a visual, sometimes you just don't process things. Not to mention, I was still absolving myself of feelings from childhood about my dad's side of the family. So, it was just, it was, you know, coming back into it, seeing the picture was like, yeah, this is legacy. I'm going to go to my mom's side. I am the queen daughter of a queen. My mother was the first ever homecoming queen of her high school. She was the first Miss James Nelson Irvin, J.N. Irvin, Highland Hills. She was the first. And I grew up under that thumb because her principal... Mr. Theodore Wallace, her vice principal. I think he was vice principal when she was there. But he was my principal. And all the motherfucking teachers who taught my mama knew who her children were. They knew who Rollin was. They knew who Troy was. And they knew who Kamika Sharon D. Spencer was. And whenever I would get into a fight, whenever I was caught misbehaving... Whenever I was just walking down the hall, minding my own motherfucking me business, Theodore Wallace always reminded me of who I was. Like you, 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 Virginia Gray's daughter. She was the first ever queen. He was so proud. He was so proud. Whenever he talked about my mother, anybody who knew my mother back then, they would light up in that in them Jan Irvin hallways. And I never processed it. Because <laughs> the queen was at home whipping my ass. <laughs> I wasn't abused as a child, but whippings were very much a part of the culture in my household. Like, my mother was a single mother, and the belt was her husband. So, you know, she had a mouth on her. She could threaten you enough. But for some reason, I was just hard-headed. I was really a hard-headed child. But my mother was from Franklin, Texas. And before she entered 11th grade, I believe, my grandmother sent her to Dallas, Texas to live 
at first with her aunt and then with her sisters. My mother kind of floated around between, you know, living with my aunt Eva, I think, for a while. And then between her sisters, Robbie and Dorothy, she managed to make it to adulthood. But when my mom hit Jay and Irvin, the word on the street, according to my daddy, is everybody loved my mama. Everybody. They adored her. She was smart. She was a country girl. She knew how to, she just, she had that Taurus, Gemini, uh, attractiveness to her. And she knew how to woo people. My mother still knows how to woo people. So long story short, like the mice and the fairy godmother, Jan Irvin wrapped its arms around my mother and provided her with the dress, provided her with the shoes, provided her with the stockings, provided her with the undergarments, provided her with everything she needed to reign supreme as the very first Miss Jan Irvin. And that's how I grew up, and I grew up in that neighborhood. So it was nowhere I couldn't go. Not nursery school, nowhere. That I wasn't reminded of that. So in third grade, we lived behind Bishop College High School. Uh, Bishop College High School. We lived behind Bishop College. Bishop College no longer exists in Dallas, Texas. It is now Paul Quinn College. But back when it was Bishop, we lived in the houses directly behind Bishop. So much so that you could leave our house on Morning View, cut through the backyard, cut across into the neighbor's backyard, go down into the woods back up in there. There was a little stream. You could cross that stream, climb up the hill, and there was a hole in the fence that you could go through. And once you crossed through that hole in the fence, you were on the campus of Bishop College. And as kids, we used to do it all the time. Well, in third grade... The ladies of Zeta Phi Beta over at Bishop College came over to Jan Irvin and introduced the Little Miss Ebony pageant. And the Little Miss Ebony pageant was, was for girls in, in, in elementary grades. It was a pageant for them to come over to Bishop College and compete to be Little Miss Ebony. And y'all, I don't know how I got in there. I think, to be honest with y'all, I think Monica Rockmore convinced me I don't know how I got in because my mother was never like the person that was like leading me into anything other than what she wanted me to do. So I think I brought the paperwork home. I think I asked her about it. I know I was like, she's going to say no. That was always my attitude about my mother. She's going to say no. She's going to say no. And that's because that's what she would normally say. She would be like, no. And then she would come back around like, you want to do this? And by then I'd be like, what is going on? I don't want to do it now. At any rate, somehow I ended up in the Little Miss Ebony pageant. And a part of me believes it was because after school, on certain days, these women would come pick us up and walk us to Bishop College, which meant my mother didn't have to worry about me being at home with my brothers. My brothers pretty much could manage by themselves but as the only girl, I'm pretty sure that's what that was. So we would go to Bishop College. I still remember the smell of the dorm rooms there. 
I still remember the smell of the dorm rooms there and the stage. I remember all of that. Um, So I don't know what year that was, but Monchita High came in first. I came in second and Monica Rockmore came in third. And that was my first pageant experience in my mind ever. I don't remember anything before that. I remember my mother being there. I remember my father being there. I remember seeing my friends, parents. I remember seeing people from the community. I, my, for my talent, I recited a poem that I do not remember. The poem was given to me by the ladies of Zeta Phi Beta. Monica Rockmore did a dance, I think, on her, in her roller skates. And it was fun. It was a beautiful thing. And I even remember me and Manchita High standing there before they announced who the main winner was. But Manchita was cute, y'all. I ain't gonna even lie. I may have had the talent and the skill set, but she was a beautiful child. She's a beautiful woman. So, I, you know, I was like, girl, yeah. I, you know, in, in my understanding of pageants, I see why you win because you have the whole package, you know. Not that I wasn't beautiful, but I lacked confidence. I've always lacked confidence. Well, I always lacked past, present, confidence. So... Now we get to the pain body. They had a parade, and in the parade, you got to sit on top of a car and wave to everybody. Well, that first year, uh, we didn't get to do the parade, but we knew ahead of time, and my my mom had already explained to me, we're not going to get to do the parade. So I was like, all right. But in fourth grade... And let me change that, y'all. That was second grade. In third grade, they did it again the next year. And it may have been fourth grade. I, don't, I really don't remember because the, when I tell y'all the pain traumatized me, I, I'm like, I have no recollection of what year that was. But the second year, it happened all over again. All over again. I went back. I did the Miss Ebony pageant, walked up to Bishop College, got my speech. And this time, I was a little bit more ready because I already had experienced what this was about. But it was a little bit more troublesome because I don't know, for some reason it was just harder to get things done from the home side. I was meeting resistance now that I look back on it. And I'm not saying, my, I'm not saying in any way, shape, form or fashion that my mother was um, sabotaging me. My mother was a single mother and she did, she, she, she was gonna live her life. Um, but I won second place again. I was a second place runner-up. That was my, like, I was like, okay, if this is the destiny, let it be the destiny. You know, I'm done, though. I'm not coming back, y'all. So, <laughs> I win second place again, and this, year, this, this particular year, I am told I'll be able to participate in the parade. I wake up that morning. I'm getting ready for the parade. My mother comes in and is looking at me and is like, what is going on? And I'm like, 
the parade. And she said, you're not going to be able to do the parade today. I got things to do. I remember that distinctly because everything in me shifted and sank. And I'm going to tell you what's even worse. I didn't get to be in the parade for whatever reasons, but my brothers walked me to the side of Bonneview Road. Is that Bonneview? Simpson Stewart. And I got to see Monica Rockmore and Monchita High on the car waving at me from down below. So for some reason I couldn't be in the parade, but I got to see the parade. And that devastated me. I'm not gonna even lie to y'all. That devast that sent me reeling down into fuck this world, fuck this world. And I was, I was mad at my mom. I was mad because I could never, to this day, I don't understand why I couldn't be in that parade. We lived in walking distance of Bishop College. We lived in walking distance of the meeting place. The ladies of, of, of Zeta Phi Beta was like, if we need, if we can pick her up and get her over there, you know, but it was just resistance. But I'm over it, which is why I can share it. And all that to say, this being in a place where queens are known, you know, black queens, when you say black queen, a lot of times people are thinking of Egypt. We're thinking of Egypt because that's where the romanticization for black people and, and that kind of hierarchy exists. So I'm very happy to be here to be able to share this. So that was elementary school. I get to middle school. I, I just, I don't even, I don't even, all I do is vote for people. You know, I'm voting for people who's going to be homecoming, whatever. The homecoming court, all that shit don't matter to me. Get to college, East Texas State University, shout out. And I'm still not on that level. The beautiful part is I live with the, you know, uh, I become president of the NAACP. And that year, 1993, I live with the current homecoming queen, Sharice Williams. So there's another connection. Like, I'm always, I, I was probably always adjacent to the royalty. And... Because we were black students at a white university, we always had to do things strategically. And I was very blessed to be at ETSU at a time where the black people could come together and really strategize how we were going to beat the system. We, everything we did was a strategy of how we're going to beat the system, from homecoming queen to um, how we did step shows. Like Everything was so anti-systematic because if at any point, point the university could shut us down just on the pretense that we don't want these niggas getting together they would it just it was it was just written it was it was it was invisibly written in the culture of the school so Sharice was the current homecoming queen and the deltas the ladies of delta sigma theta Shout out. We're like, okay, so Sharice, was Sharice in AK at that time? I don't think she had pledged AK at the time. I'm not sure. But the Deltas had 
the honor of being homecoming queen that year before. So Adelta had crowned Sharice. My line sister, Krista. Shout out. So the Deltas was like, it's time for us to get our crown back. <laughs> it wasn't even a question, y'all. The Deltas were always like, oh, yeah, they got, we were, I don't know. It was just a weird kind of like thing with Delta Sigma Theta ruling that campus. Like there was a rulership. There was a, there was a, 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 a mentality of rulership, which is another connector of all of this. So I remember them having the meeting of who's going to run for homecoming queen. Well, I don't know. I really don't know how my name came up, but I, I know it came up because I was president of the NAACP. So I remember the Deltas having this whole conversation that, well, if Kamika run, we get, uh, I was on the student government association. So they were like, we get student government association votes. We get NAACP votes. And I worked for the newspaper. And we get those journalism votes. So that's how they were looking at it. They was like, who in this room has the capacity to get us the most votes for this competition? And it was me. And I didn't even care, y'all. I was like, this is a long shot. Because I didn't, I didn't realize, and I've never realized how, like my mom, adored or appreciated or valued I was. I just didn't. I just, I always felt really normal. I was, I, in my mind, I was a tomboy, and um, I didn't have close relationships with people. Um, the closest person I was friends with was Katasha Varner and maybe Irish. But even me and Irish, like, Irish didn't live, she had moved out of Smith, so we were friends by proxy of, of, of the sorority. And so I just didn't think anybody was ever looking at me in any certain way. I mean, I knew I was a leader, and I didn't mind the things that I did. I did everything very naturally. I just didn't think I could win. But I was like, it's a long shot. Y'all, we're doing this strategically. So, yeah, I'll be the scapegoat for homecoming queen. And I remember the Deltas coming in and helping me make buttons and helping me make posters or all of this stuff, like all of this stuff. Shout out to Ayana Cabrera, who really like stepped up to the plate and like was an advocate for me. And lo and behold, my roommate crowned me. I was 1993 homecoming queen at East Texas State University, and I was a part of a legacy of Deltas who held that position in a long line because once I became queen, the next one, two, three sorors behind me were homecoming queen, if I'm not mistaken. I know two. I know Shatanya and Dee, and I believe uh, there was another one. So, royalty runs in my, I don't want to say, it runs in my blood. It runs in my blood. But it runs in my DNA, and I'm always adjacent to it. I'm always, I'm a queen amongst queens at all times. Not just by proxy of verbally saying it. Hey, queen. No, I can take that to a whole nother level. And I can take it now to a whole nother level and release the pain body of whatever that was that didn't allow me to be in that parade that year. 
Both years I missed that parade. I did not get to sit on top of the car and wave, do my beauty queen way. I did not get to do that. But it was beyond my control. And I no longer blame my mother for it. So I released that today. And that feels good. Now, let's talk about this other pain body. My father just had a birthday on October the 24th. Happy birthday, Daddy. Again. And... I wanted to send my daddy a duo message with a memory, you know, of him, you know, in hopes to make him feel good. But today I was running and I was like, damn, Kamika, the fuck? So this is the story I told my dad. I said, daddy, I don't know if you know this or not, but one year you bought me a pair of British night tennis shoes. Yeah, I remember British Knights. For some reason, I wanted the, wanted the British Knights. And let me make this very um, <laughs> lightweight connection. British Knights, Knights, Kings, Queens, whatever. You know, it's like just always attracted to royalty on some, <laughs> on some level. The Knights have to protect the Queens. Anyway, I had a white pair of British Knights that were black. They had the, the British Knights, the British Knights symbol on them was black and red. And I still got pictures with these shoes on. I was so proud of those shoes. Not because they were British Knights, but because for the first time in a long time, I got exactly what I asked for from my father. My daddy was very good at giving us what he wanted us to have. He was very good at giving us things from his childhood. So I had these shoes. I was probably in the seventh or eighth grade, most definitely. I was not in high school. I was not in elementary school. I was in either the seventh or eighth grade. And we had gone on a church trip to sing in, like, Missouri, somewhere like that. But we had to get on the bus and drive hours and hours and hours and hours. And we stayed at this woman's house. Her name was Monica. I don't remember her last name. She had a beautiful house. And... The little group of girls I stayed with, we stayed at her house. And the morning that we left, we were told to get everything. But we were singing that morning, so we had to dress in our church attire. And y'all know the rest. I left those shoes at that woman's house. And I did not realize it until we were at the church. And she lived, Monica lived like in the suburbs from wherever we were so there was no chance of me getting those shoes back I did not realize I did not have them until we were getting ready to change we had had after church meal and we were told to change out of our clothes and get ready to board the bus so we could head back to Dallas my mother was with me and when I realized that I had left those British nights back at that woman's house I lost my shit. I lost my shit. I lost my shit. Cried, snotted, and get fucked. <laughs> Nobody could console me. And my mom at one point was like, you just gonna have to deal with it. And the lady was like, I'll mail you your shoes, babe. But I wanted them then because not only they were they my British knights, my daddy had given me those shoes. And my mom and my dad were divorced. And there would be times where my dad would say he was going to come pick us up and wouldn't come pick us up. 
<laughs> I grew up in that kind of household. Crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And I will, you know, thinking back on this whole royal line of being in royalty, having queens in my family, being a queen myself, um, and dealing with the disappointments associated with that. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> because even when I was crowned homecoming queen at East Texas State, I didn't, I ain't gonna lie to y'all, there was a part of me that just didn't care if my family showed up or not because I grew up in that kind of culture where, um, Telling my family what was going on with me and wanting them to be there always seemed to be more of a struggle. It was hard for me to say, hey, I'm doing this, and they get on board and not have a problem with it. Now, if I was selling <clears throat> popcorn or something where you just sign a piece of paper and, you know, the fundraisers, no problems. But when it came down to me physically being in something, in a play, in a band recital, in a sporting event, it just didn't pay for me to tell them. Because what it does is it created a, a sense of expectation in me, and I was always disappointed. Always, 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 always. Always. And it caused me to question my talents. It caused me to question my skill sets. It caused me to question my ability to make decisions for myself. And for years, for years, I succeeded in places where my parents never knew I was succeeding. <clears throat> and I would not be able to release this because America wasn't giving me any time or room to go deep into who I really the fuck am. Into how these life experiences shaped my decision making. And how it shaped my friendships. And how it shaped my relationships. How it shaped the jobs I worked. You can't pray some of this stuff away, y'all. You got to deal with it. Like, you got to sit down and figure out, to the best of your ability, how you going to move forward with that kind of pain. Because there are moments that I think about that. I'd be like, whoa, wait. I want to get off the roller coaster. I'm not ready. <laughs> and then there are moments like today where I'm like, let me go on and get this shit off my back. While I'm in Egypt, let me leave it with the ancestors. They can do something with it. And I have a really good relationship with my mom and dad now. Better than I ever would have had if I wasn't trying to absolve myself of some of the pain from childhood. <clears throat> but a part of that is... When I did those workshops several years ago, the movement workshop <clears throat> and the move the crowd workshop, I was able to let it go for real. So now the little memories that come up, 
I can share them openly and be okay with it and hope that I'm helping somebody else. Hope that my story from Egypt, all the way from Egypt, is shining down on somebody else who's like, you know what, same thing happened to me, or I, have this, I had the same kind of mother, or I had the same kind of father, and they're still in my life. And they never beat me. They never <clears throat> did anything to me that would cause me to separate myself, myself totally from them. But they didn't always do the best they could because they were young people who ended up with children at a time when they shouldn't have probably had children. They never got to develop fully. My mother had a full four-year scholarship to Prairie View A&M. And the other night, she never got to go because <clears throat> she had gotten pregnant. And tradition and old black women who didn't want to be embarrassed said, no, you're going to get married. Not going to make a whore out of my daughter, whatever, yada, yada, yada. It's weird because there's so many single women with children. Uh, but... She had a full four-year scholarship to Preview A&M. And a part of me always wants her to go and say, hey, why don't you go and just say, I once had a full four-year scholarship here. Can I come back and finish? But I don't have that kind of time. I really don't, y'all. My mama, <laughs> I love her. She my ride or die. And I'm going to leave it right there. But right now, my niece, Christian, Kirsten Spencer, Kirsten Jewell, Spencer, who is her middle name, Jewel, is named after my Aunt Robbie. I took the name and I prayed because I submitted the name to my brother and uh, Bo, his, her mother. You know, I just submitted them. But I was able to give middle names to my nephew, Christopher Jamal, and Kirsten Jewel. She is right now in the process of experiencing her freshman year at the almighty Prairie View A&M. She wants to be a gynecologist. So I was talking to my mom the other night and I said, do you realize that Kirsten is, is probably put on this earth to continue your legacy at Prairie View A&M? And she, she says she kind of thought about it, but she didn't really. And then I asked my mother a question I never have, have never asked her. Have you ever been to Prairie View? And she said, one time. One time long, long, long ago. And I just left the conversation there because what I do know about pain bodies is if you've never had the opportunity to really even deal with them, they can be traumatizing just trying to, I mean, you don't want to open up those with people who don't who are not ready who don't have the capacity who already have enough on their plate when it comes to dealing with decisions that they've made in life and um still trying to figure out why God keeps blessing you God can't help but God can't help but bless God doesn't punish God blesses we punish ourselves but God only blesses We punish ourselves by not making the punishments blessings, right? The lesson. You got to learn the lesson. So that's it. That's it. That's what's happening in the parking lot. 
And I want to give a shout out to Bernard Wright, who when I finished my run this morning, that was one of his songs was playing on my phone. Music is the key. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want y'all to have a good day. Um, It is officially about to be November, which is my birthday month. I will be 50 on November the 21st, and I have already uh, pulled myself from Twitter and pulled myself from Instagram to just kind of have a month to myself. I will be recording the podcast, but don't be surprised if they don't start showing back up until December because I can record them and then put a later release date on them. But I'm finna, I'm gonna do Halloween on Sunday and then I'm gonna sit in the seat of my power. I'm gonna sit in the seat of knowing that, first of all, this, the, I, my birthday will be on the Sunday that I was, that on the Sunday, which is the day I was born. I was born on the day the Cowboys played somebody and, um, I'll tell you my birth story right quick. Uh, in 1971. After having two children, my mother figured she could she had it all, you know, figured out. So she's a Dallas Cowboys fan. Well, she doesn't like them now, but back then, I don't know. She says my mother's history with the Cowboys is is uh black and white. <clears throat> and I think she doesn't like the Cowboys. I can never tell. I was never a football fan. The only time I ever watched the Cowboys was the three peat years that I was at ET. With the Emmy Smith and Michael Irvin. That was those that was as much as that was as far as I could get. Anyway, anywho, on the day that I was born, on a Sunday, the Cowboys were playing, and my mother went into labor while the Cowboys was playing, but because she had already had two children, she figured she knew what the fuck she was doing. So she waited too late. By the time she got to the hospital and was on the elevator going up at Parkland, I was crowning. Crowning going up I was the only child she ever had naturally I split the taint without anesthetics (laughs) I am her million dollar baby And one thing my mother told me about being born is that you were always a happy child. You would wake up smiling. And she told me that one time at a time that I really needed to hear it. At a time that I was making really bad decisions for myself in romantic relationships. And once again, when I went through that workshop, that thought came up. And I had decided in that moment that happy baby, happy adult. And I began the process. I began the transformation. I began the revolution of becoming who I'm supposed to be and not who everybody wanted me to be and not who I was scared to be because I had spent so much time focusing on my disappointments and not my victories. And that is my birth story. All right, y'all. Be good. Be good, be good, be God. Ooh, that was a bad note. Bye.